What I wanted to actually address today is an exercise that I learned when I was starting to get turned on to the whole natural movement, you know, the MoveNet stuff and the functional movement system, the FMS. And I know the Turkish get-up has been around longer than when I initially was learning about it, but I was just so amazed with the complexity, but yet the simplicity of this drill. How it really takes you from the ground on your back, standing on both feet, and it's just, all you have to use is a kettlebell or... Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fitness Lying Down podcast, where I am your host and owner extraordinaire, Corey Cripe. All right, today is my birthday. So I am recording this on April 5th, which is my birthday, but you will not hear this until afterwards. So all of you that didn't wish me a happy birthday, yeah, that's how I feel about you. Ah, no, just kidding. And today I thought it would be kind of an exciting moment to, for whatever reason, to do the old DVRT clean and press test for my 44th. And so the goal is, is to use a certain ultimate sandbag and you need to perform X amount of reps in five minutes. And so I, I invited, I invited our intern Jan to join us. And I think this might be something that we're going to push with any intern that comes through our doors. Is that towards the end of their internship, we just want to get them to have a feeling of this clean and press test and maybe how challenging it really is. And maybe they can do it, maybe they can't, no pressure. But we, uh, we manned up today, we got into our, uh, our positions and holy cow. Um, the thing is for me, this was my third, my third uh, go round with the clean and press. And yeah, I mean, I still want to say that today I am as old as I've ever been and it's still the best I've ever felt. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with my strength levels and my overall fitness. I feel like I'm, I'm in pretty darn good shape, but it's just not easy. Let's just put it that way. Um, the first time I did this, I had to use the hundred pound sandbag. And the second time I did this once again, for no reason whatsoever, I decided to um, do it on my 40th birthday. So maybe there was a reason because I thought 40 reps, 40 years, let's do that. And it was kind of funny because the when I first did it, I mean, I had an idea of the clean and press test and I kind of knew what it involved and I was doing some pseudo training to prepare for this test. But it was like the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and I do remember, like, I'm always up for excuses, right? Like, this is the reason why I didn't do as well. Now, ultimately, I did pass. I passed on the first time, which is not an easy feat. So this is not to throw accolades on myself. It's just I've seen many really good coaches miss on their first. And that's okay because we just encourage them to find out what it was that you could improve upon. And so that first time, using the 100-pound sandbag, and I mean, it was just the toughest thing. And, you know, so it's five minutes, but how you want to treat this is like a 30-30. So you want to get so many reps in 30 seconds. Take 30 seconds to rest, do it again, do it again, do it again. Well, if you do your math right, if you're supposed to get 40 reps in five minutes, that means that I should be cooking at eight reps a minute. So eight reps in 30 seconds. That, I mean, you know, and it's always, well, I don't remember really how the first round went. But the second time and even today, you know, that first round of 30 seconds doing eight reps, 
I mean, there's such a good rhythm, such a good flow. And it's like only if you can maintain that same amount of intensity when you get back at it for the second, third, fourth, and fifth minute. But there's this thing called accumulation and fatigue. And that's exactly what the clean and press test is challenging you to do, is to overcome that fatigue. Like how does your form, how does it prevail when your body's tired? You know, how can you go through and still do well with as much of an intentional form as you can without getting injured, of course. So yeah, the first time I just remember it was the hardest thing ever. And the excuse I like to say is that, you know, it's part of the uh, DVRT level one instruction. And I do remember having a pretty darn good breakfast that morning. And I don't know if I had a snack that morning. However, as always, like I feel like the first day, the first half of the day with uh, instruction usually goes a little bit longer. So lunch is a little bit later. So now all of a sudden, like we always do this before lunch on the first day. So we set up and we go clean and pressing and I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> and I just remember afterwards, you know, even though I, I accomplished it, man, I went and just like laid in the fetal position for a while. And when I went to lunch, I remember I must have down like four or five lemonades because my blood sugar was just not right. And it took me a while to get back to uh, homeostasis, if you will. Well, now, you know, fast forward. So that was in 2016. So my goodness, that was like eight years ago. That's amazing. So if you think about maybe four years ago, um, yeah, 40 years old, I did it for the 40th birthday. Now, here's the thing. I will say I was probably in better shape when I was 40. Um, I just remember there was a lot of things going on in my life that I was cleaning up, taking away, um, improving upon. But the one thing that really helped out was the MRT session. So that's that. Um, hit that high intensity interval training that we do with DVRT uh, and just being so efficient and effective and proficient with my movements with heavier loads in that hit protocol helped my body to get stronger it helped me to clean up those energy leaks so when I did the 40 reps when I was 40 I do remember I mean it was still hard work no doubt but I finished with time left on the clock and I wasn't like dying like I did um, the first time. Now, fast forward here. Okay, I'll be honest, like a confession. I was going to try to be cute about this. I'm like, yeah, if I can knock out 44 in five minutes, you know, for every year, how about that? And I, somewhere like halfway through this, in my mind, I'm like, I just want to get to 40. I don't care about 44 anymore because that I, if you're getting that, I am impressed. Um, I, I, I couldn't get the 44. I'm going to be honest with you right now. So... Uh, here's to another birthday. Here's to some sand being slung around on my birthday. And the amazing thing is how sore my calves are right now. Still, even as I'm uh, recording this, it's just like my calves are a little tight. And I think there's a lot of explosion going up. And again, using the 100 pound sandbag is no joke. So I didn't, I didn't want to sit here and applaud myself on how great I am with the clean and press, um, even though I, I am. <laughs> So, so humble am I in all my years. Uh, but what I wanted to actually address today is an exercise that I learned when I was starting to get turned on to the whole natural movement, you know, the MoveNet stuff and the functional movement system, the FMS. And I know the Turkish getup has been around longer than when I initially was learning about it. But I was just so amazed with the complexity, but yet the simplicity of this drill how it really takes you from the ground on your back, standing on both feet. And it's just, all you have to use is a kettlebell or 
as I'll talk about here later, the ultimate sandbag. And just, you know, you can hit all the different patterns here. You know, we're pressing, we're rotating, we're anti-rotating, we're uh, fighting all the different planes of motion. You know, I mean, I could talk about lunges, I could talk about squats. It just has so many parts of it into it. And it's just nice that you don't have to worry about the volume like you would with like a burpee or, you know, squat thrusters or anything like this. You don't have to do a lot of the Turkish get-ups in order to get the benefit from them. And I think one of my favorite parts, of course, like everything else I love, is the body control and the body awareness. So the Turkish get-up, in case you aren't familiar with, you start on the ground, so it's a great fitness lying down exercise, pun intended. And, But like anything else, I mean, I always talk about strength in so many different ways. But there is something about being able to go from the ground to a standing position efficiently with strength with purpose and i know you could see this in your head right now when you think about maybe that aging um, relative maybe that person that you know that really struggles to get off the floor that they have to use assistance maybe they need to be close to a chair maybe they need to be close to a table maybe they're putting both hands on their knee to help them come up that's not as efficient now is it effective yeah because it gets them from the ground up but it's not very efficient. So when you can find somebody that can go from the ground to a standing position and they make it look so fluid, it's like they just move like water. There's something to be appreciated about this. And I know for anybody that's listening to this that might be younger, you might not have quite that appreciation because it's like, it's easy for you. You can get from the ground standing without even using your hands. That's awesome. And there is some, I don't know if it's studies or whatever, but there is this like piece of paper that's talking about how Your length of life, your longevity of life is determined by how many points of contact you need to get up from the floor. So if you need to be putting your hands down multiple times, this is showing that you're probably going to die tomorrow. Um, For all those out there, I'm sorry. (laughs) But if 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 you're able to rise from the ground without using your feet or without using your feet, without using your hands, this shows that you're probably going to live forever. Congratulations. I don't think so. But I think there is some good correlation, though. Because the fitness, being able to get up from the ground, is an important thing. And we know this for those people that are older than I am. And, you know, when they fall, when they fall, I mean, if they're by themselves, if they can't get themselves up off the ground, this could be a fatal fatal accident. So we want to make sure that people can be able to get up off the ground. And I just know, actually, one of my jobs that I had previously, actually the one that I was um, fired from, as I say that so happily now because I'm in such a better place uh, so many years later, you know, how many times would I ask somebody to lie on the floor and they just had this like fear in their face, like the floor. It's like, yeah, the floor. Can you lie down on the floor? And it was that fear, not so much can I lie down on the floor, but how am I going to get back up? You know, we're talking about people that are overweight, obese, deconditioned, that just getting to the ground is one of the scariest things because they're not sure that they're going to be able to come back up. And that really kind of like started me thinking in a different direction where I thought it was just easy for everybody to get down on the ground and come back up. It was kind of like a, a reality check. Having to understand like, wow, not everybody is me. And I mean, isn't that so true as a fitness professional? We're all training people the way that we would train. But that's not everybody. That's barely anybody. And nobody wants to train like we train as fitness professionals. 
they they don't want what we want. <laughs> they don't like sortas. They don't want to do cleans and presses for five minutes. You know, there's a different line of insanity that you cross when you become a fitness professional. The general public, they're really not about that. They want a good workout, yes, but they want one that they're not going to die from or be scared to do. So you kind of had to start coming up with some different ways to do that. And even currently at Fitness Line Down, we do run into clients that we have to be really careful how much floor time we give them. And if we give them floor time, are we putting them on the ground and getting right back up? Are we doing one exercise on the floor, back up, back down, back up, back down? That can be pretty exhausting for people. So maybe, you know, having to be a little bit creative with the programming where it's like, okay, we're going to give you a certain amount of exercises on the ground. We're going to give you a certain amount of exercises standing. And then we're going to give you a certain amount of exercises back on the ground. So maybe just kind of grouping things together so it's not so intense for them to come up and down. And But yet, they're still able to have the opportunity. Now, maybe they need something. You know, we have pipes that are attached to the wall. We've used we've had people use that to get up. That's fine. Um, boxes nearby that they've used if, if necessary. But as we're training them, what I find out is that they have to use the implements less. They have to use the assistance of the implements less than when they first arrived. And that should be the goal. So, I mean, when I have an 80-some-year-old lady here who's got knee issues and other issues, and she has to use the equipment to get up, okay, that's fine. But I'm finding out that she's actually moving better. She's stronger. She's more confident. We're, we're getting where we need to be. But I digress. It's all about the Turkish get-up today. <laughs> so if you're not familiar with the Turkish get-up, as I was mentioning, the fitness line down exercise, you lie on your back. Now, typically, you're holding a kettlebell. So you're lying on your back, you got one arm up that's holding that kettlebell, and you roll and rise. And then from there, you're, you're up on your elbow. Now you replace your elbow with your hand. So you kind of got this post position. One foot's flat on the ground, one hand's flat on the ground, one hand's got your kettlebell, one leg's extended. And then your body rises up as you kind of sneak that leg underneath you. So you bring that knee so it's underneath. Um, and then from there, you come up into a half kneeling position. Still that kettlebell is up over the head. And then you stand from that position. So now all of a sudden you're standing on both feet, kettlebells over your head. And then it's not just a get up, as I like to joke around. It's also about getting down. So under control, you bring the knee to the floor. You have to do some maneuvering there to get your body in, a, in an appropriate, successful spot. As then you find your hand to the floor. And then as you know it, you're going to thread that leg. So you're back to seated, uh, seated position with the hand in the post. You bring that hand away as you bring the elbow down, and then you roll back down onto your back. So you end up where you began. And that series of movement, it takes a lot, a lot of control, and especially on the way down. So on the way up, and if you've got a heavy enough kettlebell, and that's a good thing about that kettlebell is you don't want it to be too light because as we talked about before, that, that load can be a feedback tool for you. So if that load is too light and you're just kind of swinging around and you're not even worried about that kettlebell moving out of position where it falls, right? We never want the kettlebell to fall or to take your arm away from you. But when you can keep that stacked and your body has to move under control with purpose, wow, what, what a great drill to have. And it's one of those drills, to be honest with you, I've been thinking about and I'm going to be teaching my children about this, especially my, my son who, you know, is in junior high right now, wants to play, or he is playing football, he plays basketball, he's probably maybe interested in another sport, and he might not be like the gym-goer kid right now. 
But if I have them doing something as simple as like a Turkish get up, you know, not too complicated, that's going to help them. I know it's going to help them through the time, right? Uh, you know, I think barbells, and I don't want to be careful. I don't want to go too far off the beaten path here. Barbells and like kids just don't belong together. I think sandbags, I think kettlebells. And is that because I'm biased? Possibly. But I've just seen this from both sides now. And I just know that when when children are developing and growing, those barbells, sometimes they they have a negative effect on, on kids and their form. You know, you put a barbell on some kid's back, their squat actually kind of goes down in quality. But now, and it doesn't really teach them much. It doesn't teach them how to move well. They're just trying to survive that squat. And then, of course, it gets to that point where, like most young kids in the gym, they want to lift as much weight as they can. Is that going to be a problem? Yeah, maybe it could be. So here, if I could teach my son and my daughters, and actually, I'm not worried about Ruth at all. She's a dancer. Um, her, her body control is far superior to mine, I tell you. When, when, you, when I can bust out a single-arm cartwheel, I'll talk about body control a little bit more. But for Oliver, I just know for him to be able to put his body. So that's the thing about the get up is every position that you go from, from whether to the elbow to the hand up to uh, more of that bridge position before you thread that leg through to the knee standing. Every time you move, it has to be exactly how you want it to be. You have to put that hand where you need that hand to be. You have to put that knee where that knee needs to be. So there's some precision to this movement. And the whole while, you've got that kettlebell that wants to swing around and take you off course, and you have to be really firm with that. So if I can teach a teenager how to be more successful with their body awareness, and we know that as these kids sometimes hit puberty, how coordination just kind of goes out the window. They become like two left feet as they hit those growth spurts. Well, here's something that they can do within their own body, right? It's not a machine that they have to form to the machine's uh, demands. They're moving, and they're moving in space with a load with quality. And I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, with precision. That is a, a useful thing to teach a young person. Now, here's what I'm going to say about that is I think sometimes a kettlebell can be a little bit too much. As we've learned in DVRT, it is about being able to successfully progress and regress an exercise. So using the ultimate sandbag, because that can be a limiting factor as my arm up in the air, holding onto that kettlebell could have a lot of effect, especially if I don't have very good shoulder mobility. So if I can prove shoulder mobility and hold that kettlebell and keep that arm perpendicular to the floor, we're doing good. But also because that weight can be so distracting to some degree that the movement suffers because of that. So if we put an ultimate sandbag on the shoulder, now we're going to have a little more feedback because I can keep that bag tight to me, which is going to engage those core muscles that we need. You know, again, most of that Turkish get up, you're going to have that core working, but here's just going to be a little extra tool to keep that core more engaged. But, you know, besides whatever implement you're using, the kettlebell or the ultimate sandbag, both have their purpose, both have their reason. Each part of that get up can be an exercise in itself. And that's what we do a lot here at Fitness Line Down. And the first exercise, that first movement in the get-up, what we call the ground to elbow, is one that we like to really introduce to a lot of our new people right away because it teaches you the rolling pattern. So a lot of people see this. So once again, you're lying flat on your back, 
Now, as I'm kind of coaching you through this, um, through the uh, platform here of an audio platform and not so much a visual platform, so you're lying flat on your back. Now, your feet, what I tell people is that your feet should be separated far enough that like the midline of your body. So if you took your body and cut it in half down the center, that's the midline. Your feet should be about a 45 angle away from the midline, both feet. And the, um, the straight leg with the straight arm, those limbs should be parallel. And what you want to do is you want to roll to that side. So the kettlebell, so as I'm imagining this, I have the kettlebell in my right hand, my right leg and my, or I'm sorry, my left leg and my left arm are parallel. And so as I roll to my left side, the thing is, is that if I try to do more of an ab crunch, and that's what I find people do, well, they don't get up very high, and then that extended leg lifts up off the floor, and we don't want that to happen. So that's a premature lift. And then what happens is because your core isn't is efficient to move that body in a rolling pattern, it's relying on some of that hip flexor to help them up, and that's what ends up triggering that foot, that leg to come up instead. So you want to have that good, efficient roll on over, and then there's just that moment, there's this window of opportunity that when you hit it at the right time, you can use the momentum of the roll to rise up to the elbow. But it has to be, <laughs> the word, today's word is precision. It has to be precise, especially if you're holding that kettlebell overhead because if you overdo it and that arm goes swinging around, there could be some bad things that happen. And as we're doing this, I tell people with the kettlebell in hand, you have to keep your eyes on that kettlebell. So that what's nice about that is how the vision actually drives the get up and that vision continues to drive that kettlebell. Kettlebells are like little kids when it comes to the get up. If you take your eyes off them, they start doing naughty things. So you got to keep the eyes on that kettlebell to help drive it up. So that first, that first maneuver, the ground to elbow, what a great exercise. So we'll go up to the elbow with people and then we'll go right back down. So we're teaching them how to get that roll pattern working. And that roll pattern is so important for other parts of their movement, especially rotation with internal rotation of the hip. I digress. <laughs> and the kettlebell. So we're holding the kettlebell. So I'm using a lot of kettlebells here. We, like I said, we can definitely substitute the ultimate sandbag. And there's a lot of DVRT drills that we can do to supplement. Um, I don't know if supplement. To help grow the get up to be stronger. Certain things that we can do with the ultimate sandbag. But I'm going to try to keep this a little more kettlebell based because I want to honor your time as you listen to this. I don't want this to be a five-hour lecture between bells and bags. Anywho, with that kettlebell, with that extended elbow, is no matter if you're rising or coming back down, it's always about pushing that kettlebell away. So not too hard on the way up, because as you're going up, it's just almost natural to keep pushing the bell up. But as we go back down, so as I'm up on that elbow and I'm going to go and roll onto my back once again, because the body's descending, it's almost like that brain's like, all right, we can start retreating everybody. So the elbow starts bending a little bit. But the problem is as soon as you bend that elbow, we break the connection between the kettlebell and the lat. And then it becomes a lot of shoulder things going on. And it just doesn't look very good on social media. So we don't want to do that. We want to make sure it looks very strong. So no matter if you're rising or descending, it's about pressing that kettlebell. And the more you press the kettlebell, the better your core stays engaged. The more, the more you can put yourself, place yourself on into a position with certainty. And the, nowhere could that be done better than those transition points. 
So what do I mean by the transition points? There's that point where your, your hip and your foot have to leave the floor on the way up to bring that knee underneath you. That's a transition. That's me transitioning from the ground onto the knee. And as I do this, my points of contact become two points, the hand and the opposite foot. And so I'm moving that leg, I'm moving that knee so it comes up underneath me and I've got this kettlebell over my head. It can be really easy for your body to kind of retreat into compensation. And our bodies do that best by flexion. So we'll start bending that elbow a little bit as the shoulder comes in. So we're trying to find more stability through that compensation, but we don't want that. We want to continue driving that kettlebell high. We want to fight that temptation to flex. And by continuing to drive that kettlebell high, keeps you in a more stable trunk position, allowing for that knee to set down in the place where you want it to be. Now, does that happen 100% of the time? No, not even for like a skilled person. I think because anytime you leave the floor like that, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. But if you're competent, right? So we like to say, don't be careful, be competent. So just practicing doesn't help. Mindful practice, practical practice, that's what sets the stage. So that transition is so important because there's so many times in your life where you have to make those transitions where you're not very stable. But here you have that lesson about keeping that core stable. And you're not, you're not flexing the core. That's the great thing about this is you're not trying to imagine bracing through your abdomen mentally. If you're pushing down that ground, so that's another part about that transition that's so important, is you see, you see the parts of your body that are moving, but it's actually the parts of the body that aren't moving that's more important. So the hand that's pressing into the floor, the foot that's on the ground, those have to keep that floor separated far away from you so that you can have that, that stability through the core. Then you don't have to think about the brace because it's already happening. And if I'm pushing down into the floor and I'm pressing that kettlebell up, even more stability is gained. And that stability is what's going to make that get up look so smooth. And there's nothing better, more satisfying for me than a smooth get up. One that I, even with that big heavy weight, one where I can just control my body all the way up and all the way down. It's so, it's so bananas. It's so great. And as I mentioned though, now as I'm, all the way up standing on my feet and I'm starting to go back down to return to the floor, how easy it is to lose that elbow, to break that elbow. Now, break not literally. So you got to continue driving that kettlebell up as we continue lowering yourself and then a transition from the standing to being seated back on the floor. As soon as you're going down, you got to keep driving that bell up. That's going to help keep the lats engaged, which as we know, if you've listened to this podcast at all, how the lats are the top part of the core musculature. And by keeping those lats turned on, how much that helps with the rest of the core, with the rest of the body, with the rest of the movement. So there's like side planks here. There's lunges, there's squats, there's presses. There's so many things that are happening. And all just with a simple in implement, a simple tool. And all you have to do is like a few on each side. Take a break, do a few more, take a break, do a few, take a break. How educational can this be? Extremely. Extremely educational as you learn. And gait, let's talk about that movement pattern. I mean, as I'm moving my leg locomotion, there's some of that going on too. So again, you want to find that kettlebell. If you're using a kettlebell, find that kettlebell that works best for you. And, you know, they always say like in the kettlebell world, because the kettlebells don't go like in five-pound increments. You don't have your five-pound, then your 10-pound, then your 15. There's usually big jumps in there. Like if I remember correctly, you know, you go from like a 20-pound to a, um, 
Well, maybe that's a bad example because there's a 20 to like a 25, 10 to 12. But they go from like 25 to like 35 or something like that, 35 to 45. There's some big jumps in the kettlebell weight. And so this is where you have to practice a little bit more with the precision of using the kettlebell, with the gripping, because the grip makes a big difference as well with that kettlebell. A kind of an unforgotten part of this is it's so easy when you're holding that bell to let that bell take your wrist away from you. Because the way that kettlebell is structured, you've got the handle and then you've got this big bell on the outside of your arm. And that's trying to force your shoulder blade to go in these different positions, trying to force your shoulder to go kind of into what we call external rotation, taking your body out of position. Now at the wrist joint though, that kettlebell, when you grab on tight to the kettlebell, and as I'm currently talking about this, my hand is making this strong fist like I have this kettlebell, but you don't want to break the wrist. Now when I say break the wrist, I don't, again, literally mean break the wrist, but the kettlebell is going to want to pull your hand out of position and bend your wrist backwards. So then I've lost that centrality. I don't have that stacked position between my wrist and my elbow and my shoulder. So you've got to keep that grip strong and almost to some degree, it's almost like a little bit of a flexion with the wrist. Now you might think flexion and you might see this, but it's actually neutral. You're stronger because of that. So to keep that wrist locked in that position as you go from the floor to standing and back down serves for grip strength and all the other parts of your body. So we've talked about this so much here on this podcast. And especially when it comes to the Turkish get up, it is not about isolation. It's about integration. And how cool is it to integrate and have an exercise that has all these different points of contact, all these steps to go from the ground to standing and then back down. An amazing exercise, so much. So much that, as I said, I'm gonna have to be teaching my kids to do this because I think this is a good setup for them. If they never wanna work out a day in their life like in a gym, okay, that's fine. Of course, it'll break my sandbag heart. But if I can give them like, the get up, something that's challenging, something that they can get better at and more precise, that's going to carry over into everything, whether it's athletics, just with, whether it's in their daily living. Learning how to do the get up could be one of the best things we could do in society. I'm not joking at all. I think it could really benefit everybody, athletes, general population, therapy. I mean, so many so much carryovers if you just had like almost one exercise to perform could be the get-ups now of course i say this and you know my dvrt sandbag heart there's so many more exercises that go in my mind that could be better than a get-up sure but you can also do the get-up with the sandbag try to get a heavy bag and now with that bag on the shoulder yeah there's just it's a different meaning for sure all right people it's my birthday i'm gonna have a great time tonight going out with the family in case anybody wants to know and for those that joined me today, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I know I have guests on. I feel like the show goes better when I have guests, when it's me by myself. I go on these tangents sometimes. It's like, what are we going to hear from Corey today? Maybe a million things. Well, today, I think I suck pretty good to it. I'm really good at the clean and press. Turkish get-ups, pretty important in life. All right. With that being said, until the next time that we meet, friends, Godspeed. <laughs>